and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast, where we make adulting easier by making money easier. This is Lauren, and I manage and host the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast at realadultingiseasy.com. And anywhere you listen to podcasts, please, please, please take a second, hit the follow button wherever you're listening, and give us a review when you're done with this episode, if you haven't already. I'm joined today by Sam Dogan. Sam started Financial Samurai in 2009, a personal finance site about helping you reach financial independence sooner rather than later. He worked in investment banking for 13 years before negotiating a severance in 2012 to break free from the corporate world. During the pandemic, Sam wrote a new book entitled Buy This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom. When Sam is not writing, he's busy playing with his two kids in San Francisco. Thanks for joining me, Sam. Thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by Jasmine Mortgage Team. Jasmine's team is licensed nationwide with competitive rates, excellent customer service, and has a solid reputation amongst homebuyers, real estate agents, and financial advisors. Jasmine Mortgage Team offers conventional, jumbo, FHA, doctor loans, and more. Head on over to jasminemortgageteam.com and tell them Lauren from Adulting is Easy sent you. That's jasminemortgageteam.com. So our goal for today, Sam, is to make adulting a bit easier for listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So today, you and I are going to discuss these kind of three different net worth allocation frameworks. But before we get to that, I, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about why you called your, called your blog Financial Samurai and kind of what a financial samurai is. <laughs> well... You know, it's funny, back in 2009, um, my wife and I were sitting on our bed and trying to brainstorm what what names to come up with. And we went on GoDaddy and just typed in a bunch, and a lot of them were taken. But I grew up in Japan for several years. I've always liked the culture, the people, the respect, the food. And so I said, well, financial is a relevant term. And then samurai was open, so I decided to take it. And samurai and Sam are also play on words. Well, in terms of what a financial samurai is, I have several core principles of being a financial samurai. It's a way of life, I believe. The first is never fail due to a lack of effort because effort requires no skill. You know, you can fail because of superior competition or bad luck, but the one thing you can control is your effort. And so if you fail, but you did your best, then it's okay. You're going to live with that. Uh, second principle Always maintain an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. There are literally trillions of dollars in the world for the taking. There are people who blow up their companies and exit with tens of millions of dollars in severance. So when you see these examples, uh, you've also got to say to yourself, why not me too? Three, depend on no one but yourself to succeed. I truly believe, which is kind of sad, that nobody's going to save you because Everybody's busy trying to save themselves. The world is really a competitive place. And so we will inevitably face hardships along our path to financial independence. And so if we can focus on trying to save ourselves and not rely on anybody, a rich uncle, the government to bail us out, whatever, I think things will be better. And if someone does help, help us out along the way, all the better. But we weren't expecting it. Four... Know that you deserve only what you have earned. This is really important because there's no better feeling than working hard for your success. And I pity those who have been given everything. You know, you you are born into a wealthy family. You have a lot of privilege. Your parents pay 
your way to get into school and you use your network to get a job, you start, you'll start wondering whether you deserved, um, you know, your success. And that's kind of sad. Five, several more here, give without asking for anything in return. So if you have this proper financial minds, samurai mindset of just giving first and never asking, sooner or later, good things will happen to you because people want to help people who help them. Six, know there is often a solution to a difficult problem. If you're a financial samurai, you look at a problem and you always try to problem solve. You know, you might not get the right solution immediately, but there are better avenues to take. And then finally, this is really important, and it's a topic of buy this, not that, my book, think in probabilities, not absolutes. So what I mean by that is don't think you need 100% certainty to make a decision. If so, you're going to let many opportunities pass you by. But if you start thinking in probabilities, you start approaching things with a mindset, well, yes, there's a great chance you can get it right, but there's also a chance you might get it wrong. And you have the humility and awareness to learn from your mistakes. Thank you for sharing that. And as you're going through those, I can't help but reflect on myself. And I'm sure listeners are doing the same. It's interesting that the give without asking for anything in return, that one stuck out to me a lot. I've always, always felt that way. And I don't know, it's almost like a karma thought, I guess, where, yeah. you know, if you do good things, good things will come back around. But I've, I've always felt that way and, and vice versa for that matter, right? But depending on no one but yourself to succeed probably stuck out to me the second most where I think a lot of people, I guess an example kind of prescient to right now would be student loans, right? Are they going to be forgiven? Or are they going to not? And mm. I think you should be looking at that. If you have student loans, this idea of like, that would be great, but you can't rely on it, right? You should rely on yourself to, yes. to accomplish these things. Absolutely. And then, so the thinking and probabilities, and this is in your book, so this is a little bit of a cheating question because I basically know the answer, but what's <laughs> a good probability to make a decision? Well, you know, it's a lot of us go through analysis paralysis, and every decision is an opportunity cost for not making the other decision. And so I have this core principle where you go through choices, decisions with a 70-30 decision-making framework. So in other words, if you believe there's a 70% probability or greater that your decision will be the right one, go for it. While having the awareness and humility, knowing that 30% of the time you're going to get it wrong. And so long as it's not a catastrophic error and you're not dead, you're going to be able to learn from your mistakes and make better, higher probability decisions going forward. And this comes with experience and in time. And you can work on your decision-making framework through anything, really. For example, let's say you are a really big fan of the Golden State Warriors. You can say, well, they're going to win the championship in six games or in five games. And then then you go about and you see what happens, and then you reverse engineer and analyze why things turned out the way they did and whether your probability was correct, why or why not. And it's not just you know analyzing or betting on basketball. It's You can look at a dog show. You can look at whether your book is going to be a bestseller or not, whether you can see, well, how many times do I have to take this COVID test before I'm finally negative? The decisions go on and on, and over time, you'll be able to hone your decisions better and better. I love that idea. As I was reading your book, I was thinking, absolutely. I think this is something all of us do, but we probably aren't paying much attention. We're not probably not reflecting on these things. Like as 
as we're making predictions, as we're making educated guesses, I don't know how often we then reflect back to see if we were right or not and see how well we're doing. And that will allow us to kind of know in the future whether something is this 70-30 move, that there's a 70% chance of succeeding. And if you do that throughout a lifetime, that's the idea, right? If you make a 70% move throughout your lifetime, just statistically, you're going to have a good, successful life. And you're also, I think, which is important, not going to have these regrets for things you didn't do. Right, Sam? Yes. Uh, regret. The older I get, the more I don't want to feel regret. Uh, we will regret more of the things we don't do than the things we try. I firmly believe that. The fear in our heads about what if we fail? What if we, people laugh at us? What if the book is terrible and nobody ever buys it? That fear is greater than reality. So I hope people take more calculated risks and they adopt the 70-30 decision-making framework. Yeah, I think that you're right. And I see this a lot. I have a relatively balanced portfolio, kind of leans a bit towards real estate. And so I'm in a lot of real estate conversations. I get asked a lot of real estate questions. And I just know that a lot of people they educate and educate and educate and learn and analyze deals, but they never really, they may even make some offers. They may even get some offers accepted, but they never really pull the trigger and become a real estate investor and take that action. And I can only imagine what that will feel like in 10 years. Like I know someone who, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad 10 years ago and still hasn't bought a rental property, for example, oh, you know, yeah. they've got to be thinking, man, I should have acted right when I was driving, when you know, I was reading that book and I was driving around, I was running numbers. <laughs> I should have acted then. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, I believe long-term everything is rational. So maybe he'll feel, you know, the regret of missing out on such a bull run in real estate over the past 10 years. And maybe he'll pick up that book and read other books and really read more and try to analyze the markets now and maybe patiently wait and take advantage of a softening market. And right. if, he, if he or she doesn't do that, then I, I would have to logically say that they didn't want it enough. And what I was going to say, too, is we also don't want to then get this idea of I miss the boat. And now I need to act now because that's scarcity, right? You don't want to turn kind of regret into this like scarcity mindset either. Is that right? Right. There's endless opportunity. The longer you live, the more you realize there are so many opportunities from people who you feel are not as smart as you or don't work as hard as you or whatever it is. You'll see people achieving you know, great wealth, great success all the time. And just the way the world works, you know, population is growing, inflation is growing, there's going to be endless amount of opportunities. So, so long as you zoom out a little bit, you realize, okay, you might have missed the boat for the past 10 years, but let's say there's down cycle for another, you know, one to three years, maybe that's your opportunity again. And then you reset higher if you can look over the long term. That's something that I've gotten better with as I've gotten older is thinking in abundance mindset, not thinking, oh, I missed the boat on this, or I'll never be able to do this again, or I'll never be able to buy back in or anything like that. I try not to think that way. I try to look around at all of the opportunity that there is in the world for sure. And it, that is almost something too, Sam, that you almost like flex that muscle, right? There's almost like an abundance mindset muscle that you kind of have to get used to using. And then it just, to me, at least then it becomes easier to look yeah. at the world that way. So for example, the other day I sprained my ankle. I just stepped on a rock and I rolled my ankle. And of course it hurt. But then I said, you know what? At least I didn't break my ankle. 
And I went out and played the tennis match a couple days later. So you can look at the negatives and say, well, I'm losing all my money in the stock market now because the markets are down 20%. Or you can say, well, with the new cash flow that I'm uh, you know, accumulating now, hmm, there might be great opportunities to buy and my 10-year future self will thank me or my children will thank me for buying that rental property where I took some risks because you know what, in 20 years from now, they're probably going to say, well, dad or mom, why didn't you buy 20 years ago when it was that price? What great value it was back then. So it's just literally, it, it is a muscle. It is a mindset that you have people, you know, bashing you on your product or whatever. Say, hey, at least someone's, someone's paying attention and taking the time to consume that product that you created. Absolutely. And so as I was reading your book, I, and I've read a lot of personal finance books, as you can imagine, and I was reading yours, I really was struck by these asset allocation models that you came up with. And I was wondering if you could go over to high level for listeners, even just generally, what does that mean? Like what's a net worth allocation? What is net worth? And then if you could talk us through these different models as well, because I want people to know that personal finance is personal and there's a bunch of different frameworks out there. And I thought your book did a really good job of showing people, giving some people some ideas about you know how they can live their life. Yeah, well, first of all, net worth is assets minus liability. So that's what you're left with, your net worth. Um, in the book, Buy This, Not That, I have three net worth asset allocation models. They're entitled Conventional, New Life, and Financial Samurai. And so the idea behind a net worth allocation model is to first look at percentages of the breakdown of your net worth. So a lot of us, myself included, you know, I start uh, thinking in terms of absolute dollars instead of percentages, like, oh, I want to make 100000 or I want to have a million dollar net worth, $5 million, and so forth. But what does that really mean in the context of things? You have to instead change your thought process from the dollar value to a percentage asset allocation uh, value. So with conventional, the conventional model uh, consists of you know, investments in stocks, bonds, real estate, and risk-free assets. It's the most basic net worth asset allocation model and also one of the most proven models over the decades. So for people who want to follow the conventional model are also people who may want to you know, work the traditional job until age 60, 65, um, you know, buy that house and then retire at 60, 65, right? And then just live your life. So for example, each of these models has a net worth allocation by age, right? So for example, at age 23, let's say you just graduated from college, uh, I have 100% stock and bond allocation. And then I go on in the book and break down the asset allocation between stocks and bonds. And then, for example, at age 40, I have 55% stocks and bonds, 40% real estate, 5% risk-free, and 0% to alternatives and 0% to your X factor. And this goes on and on until you're 70 plus. And so the idea is no matter which way the wind is blowing for the economy, you asset allocate based on these percentages so that you can benefit on the way up and be relatively protected on the way down. Now, as you go through these models, conventional, new life, financial samurai, the deeper you get towards the financial samurai model, the more you're betting on yourself. So what, am I, what do I mean by betting on yourself? I mean, so let's say you, you take a job out of college, you basically piggyback off the reputation of that firm and hopefully it's a great firm with a great reputation and you can do well. That's that's what the majority of people do. And that's great. 
betting on yourself is being more entrepreneurial, essentially. If you think about the wealthiest people in the world, they have all built their wealth through building a business and owning equity in that business. I mean, that really is kind of like the ethos here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's startup culture, build a business, get rich, do whatever you want. And so, you know, new life is like a hybrid of that where your X factor, which is your business, your entrepreneurial idea starts at around 40, 45, because at 40, 45, you've got 18 to 20 plus years experience in the workplace. You might be getting bored and you want to start doing something new. So you might want to start your podcast. You might want to start your financial samurai website, your Etsy store, whatever it is. When with the financial samurai framework, it's more aggressive, right? So you start being a little bit more entrepreneurial by the time you're 30. And then by the time you're 50, 60, half or even a greater amount will be because of your business. And it's scary to depend on yourself, right? So there's nobody to blame by yourself for your failures as an entrepreneur. But at the same time, the reward of creating something from nothing because of your own efforts is amazing. I would say that factor of uh, benefit of satisfaction is maybe 5x to 10x. So in other words, if you made something from nothing and made $10,000, I would say that's kind of like making $50,000 to $100,000 from a day job. Yeah, absolutely. I loved that idea throughout your book as well, where you're not ragging on nine to fives. You're not ragging on the traditional career path at all. And you say many times, actually, you're going to make a lot of money that way. And you can make a lot of money that way, right? And use that almost as this like launching pad for this X factor. Yes, you can make money multiple ways. And most of us have day jobs. I had a day job for 13 years in finance and it was great. But for me, man, I got bored after about the 11th year. And that also coincided with the financial crisis too. So that wasn't fun. Um, so <laughs> another thing we got to do is we got to forecast our misery to be happier, ironically. So in other words, when do you think you'll be bored out of your mind from your day job? And if that is in five years, then you better get cracking on your X factor. If it's in 20 years, well, you've got a lot of time. For me, I forecasted it was about 10 years after I started. As soon as I started working in 1999, you know, I had to get in at 5.30 a.m. and I left after 7.30 p.m. on most nights. And so I knew that was unsustainable. So I said, you know what? I might be able to last until age 40, but I'm done. And really, I only lasted until age 34. And then I decided to do something else, which was Financial Samurai. Investment banking and finance, it's its so incredible to me when I hear the stories of the people that work in there and what they're expected to do in terms of hours. And I think kind of big law can be that way too. It just, and I think what you said is so smart, forecast your misery. I've never heard it put that way, but that's what the financial independence movement is, right? Or financial independence, retire early, fire. That's the idea behind it, right? You can be prepared financially to quit, to leave, to change direction, to do whatever you want to do. But that doesn't mean that you have to. Maybe maybe you forecasted your misery wrong, right? Maybe you thought you'd be miserable in five years and you're not. You're not bored. Maybe your career picks up. Maybe you go a different direction. Maybe you got promoted and you're really enjoying it, making good money, what have you. That's great. You can keep doing it. But if you were kind of dead on with that, then you have an out. And in that scenario too, I think you can be more creative you can really let another side of you 
kind of exist if you don't have to be in a job. If you have to be in a job, then it's almost like your your brain doesn't almost like it doesn't do the the dreaming and the thinking and everything that goes into being an entrepreneur if you, you know, are kind of stuck in a job. Yeah, I mean pr- preparation is key. So I started Financial Samurai in 2009. I helped kickstart the modern day fire movement and I recorded my journey from working in finance to leaving in 2012. So it took about, yeah, two and a half years until I left. And the catalyst for me leaving was planning and recording my thoughts and also coming up with the idea of negotiating a severance in 2012 because I was paid in deferred compensation in terms of stock and cash. And I had like a private real estate fund that I had to allocate a portion of my bonus in back in 2009. And that was like a seven-year vesting period. And so if I hmm. quit, if I quit, I would have lost all my deferred cash and, cash and stock and this private investment, which was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so negotiating severance uh, was my catalyst to leave at 34. Otherwise, I wouldn't have left. And I hope anybody who decides to retire early to do something else also tries to negotiate a severance. I wrote a book on how to negotiate a severance back in 2012, and it's been updated five times since then. But it's interesting because not it hasn't really caught on. The idea is, hey, if you're going to quit your job anyway, what's the downside in trying to create a win-win scenario to negotiate a severance and walk away with money in your pocket and walk away with helping to train and find your replacement? That's a win-win. But for some reason, I think people maybe are afraid of confrontation or standing up for themselves as much. And they just would rather, you know, text someone and say, I'm breaking up with you. See you later. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, even for me, when I was reading your book, you have a couple mentioned the severance a few times. I'm thinking, why would my company, why would they pay me to leave? Like, what? Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah. But when you talk through it, it's exactly what you said. There's this win-win. So if you're going to leave anyways, and most people, basically, if you're going to leave your job, you can't give a lot of heads up or you don't feel like you can because your boss might just straight up fire you when they find out you want to leave. Or when you do leave, your next company wants you to start. So this idea of I can stay for quite a while and train somebody to replace me, get rid of all of that turnover cost or a lot of it, right? Yeah. And instead of instead of like X amount of tur- of turnover costs, pay a portion of that to me instead. And then you ride off into the sunset. It, so you painted a really beautiful picture in your book of a win-win that you can create through severance. And I thought that, I thought that was amazing. And people really, that's not something that they should sleep on. Absolutely not. And this, this is the mindset, again, back to the financial samurai mindset, that there is always a better solution to a tough problem. And so the tough problem is I hate my job. I want to leave, but I have, but I'm not sure I would like to have a financial runway. How can we do it? And so this is a great example of solving a difficult problem by trying to negotiate a severance. Absolutely. I love that too. I love your whole, all of your, all of your core principles. I wrote them down. I will um, put those in the show notes for people so that they can review them. And I hope they were reflecting on them as you were, as you were saying them. So Thank you, Sam, for coming on and talking about these three asset allocation methods. Love what you said, where we have conventional new life and financial samurai, and it is just a progression of betting on yourself. 
Yes. And like you said, that's what that's what starting uh, Financial Samurai was for you. Writing that's what writing books are. That's what me with this podcast was. And listeners, if you're thinking about those things, I don't think you should be thinking about it in terms of I do my career first and then I do my entrepreneurial stuff. There can be this kind of in between time, and that was what was so key about these allocations that that I saw in the book where. You bring your X factor on, right? Your entrepreneurial side, you bring that on kind of slowly and then you head kind of that direction. And you don't even have to start it like in your 20s or 30s, which I thought was awesome. I think a lot of people feel like, and I see tweets like this, like, yeah, I'm 35. I started at 35. It's never too late. And I'm like, okay, personally, I never thought 35 was all that late, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, the older you start, actually, oftentimes the better because you you know what you want to do and you have this wealth of knowledge and experience. A lot of times in the corporate environment, I mean, think about if you were a, you know, a summa cum laude, Ivy League grad who got that most coveted job at Facebook or Google, right? Your ultimate goal is to optimize the click-through rate of ads. So I would say after several years, if you don't change departments in your job, you're going to be bored out of your mind. And it's the same thing with whatever it is. So, so jobs... They don't really utilize a large enough percentage of your creativity and your brain, I don't think. Whereas something entrepreneurial, it's like you've got to think about an idea, you've got to create it, then you've got to execute, then you've got to market. It's exhilarating, uh, anxiety-inducing, and fun at at the same time. And I think that's why a lot of these companies do have like, you know, here, take a day off a month to brainstorm some creative idea for, for the company and maybe for yourself. Yes, I think, man, I can't remember who. I can't remember now off the top of my head. Yeah, 20% time, I think one company called it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what having this investing in yourself, which is what you said is so important, right? We need to be investing in ourselves early, betting on ourselves uh, so that we can have this kind of new life later on or this financial samurai life later on or just generally flexibility, which is what FI and the FI movement and that idea is all about. So do you have any other advice, Sam, for people who are kind of starting out and they maybe maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed? Maybe they've maybe they're going to read your book. Maybe they've read a few books, listen to a bunch of these podcasts, and maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed with all of these different ideas. Do you have any advice for them? Well, I wrote by this, not that, to help those who are feeling overwhelmed and to help them not only build wealth over time, but also tackle some of life's biggest decisions. And I wanted to make it fun and very practical in that way. So the thing is, you don't have to drink all the water from the fire hose immediately. What it is, is you take baby steps and what you do is you jump in the water and soak up as much knowledge as possible. So what what it is, is if you read financialsamurai.com, you'll read three articles a week for years. And what happens is you'll see other people comment on some different perspectives on different topics. And what will happen is you will think about things that you know, are talked about, and you will naturally start learning and learning and getting more comfortable as you go forward, whether it's investing to maxing out your 401k, to buying real estate, to marrying for love or marrying for money, to starting your own business. These things just take time. So don't, it's easy to be anxious and be like, I, I got to get this all done right away. But the amazing thing is, if you just put yourself in the situation where you're always listening, like such as this podcast, 
or reading, such as Finance Samurai or the book, you will eventually learn and start activating what you have learned. And that's another key too. You can't just read and not do anything. You've got to read and then you've got to pitch it to your closest friends and family what you plan to do financially, whether it's, you know, these are the reasons why I want to take this job in, you know, North Dakota, or these are the reasons why I want to buy a rental property. You got to pitch yourself. And the way, the best way to learn is to pitch yourself to someone who cares about you, and then you've got to execute. And so don't feel like, ah, everything's got to be known at once. We're all going to make mistakes. Part of the reason why I wrote the book was to help you reduce the number of landmines you step on on your path to financial independence and be patient. Things will come. Yes, I highly recommend buy this, not that. It's actually in there, marrying for love versus marrying for money. I saw that section and I was like, oh, he went there, right? (laughs) So, and you're right. Your book does a great job for every kind of big decision making it kind of breaking it down, making it more palatable, making a little bit quantifiable, right? Yeah. And that should be make people comfortable enough to make that 70-30 move, to be set to be 70% sure that they know which direction they need to go and not waiting for a hundred percent. Like I was talking about my friend who read Rich Dad Poor Dad and then never bought a right. rental property. You do need to actually act, right? And right. I think like you said, You'll regret not doing things more than you'll regret trying them because there's not a question. You're not going to look back and say, man, I wonder what would have happened if I launched that podcast. You'll know. You'll know. And I think that's what matters. That's what you want to look back on. Yes, absolutely. And I love the topic of family, uh, marriage, marrying for money, marrying for love, because uh, I met my wife in college when you know we both had nothing. And so it's been a, grunt, a fun journey to build wealth together. And I have friends who have married into very wealthy families, and they were able to leapfrog a generation or multiple generations of struggle. And it's not like, hey, rich people need love too, you know? (laughs) So it's just such a fun topic that I hope with every single chapter uh, the readers read, um, they can read it with a friend or a loved one and then have a discussion over, you know, rosé or a nice meal and debate, debate your thoughts because the whole idea is to welcome different perspectives because part of the 70-30 decision-making framework is also being humble enough to know that you're not going to always be right. And there is no 100% certainty in many of our decisions. And so one of the things, if we want to heal the world, you know, I think we need to travel. We need to learn different cultures, speak different languages, and just listen more to the other side of the story. Well said. I can't even add to that. Is there anything else you want to add though, Sam, before we wrap up? No, I, uh, if anybody wants to reach me, I'm, I'm always checking out the comments on financialsamurai.com. It's interesting over time since 2009, my writing has evolved to become less hardcore opinionated or stingy. It's also because I'm just older and more tired. But if you have any questions or comments, just leave a comment and I'll happily respond. That's the easiest way uh, to find me. It's still so much fun 13 plus years later. And so, and if you're waiting, if you're waiting for a moment to start that entrepreneurial endeavor, uh, just start. You'll you'll figure things out as you go. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. That's financialsamurai.com. Definitely put on some comments there. And Sam himself, as he mentioned, he retired early. He also has young children. So there's a lot about, you know, marriage and family as well as personal finance that he knows about for sure. So leave some comments there. 
And everybody, you can find me on Twitter at Adulting is Easy. I'm on Facebook at the same name. You can email me at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Hopefully, Sam and I have made adulting a little easier for you.